Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So welcome to our series X's and O's. I'm excited you're here. I'm excited to walk through this. We're going to have a great time all month long, so don't miss it. Be a part. This is just going to be a great, great time. I'll tell you a little bit of a, a little bit of insight as to where we're going. Today, we're going to talk about a biblical understanding of marriage, but the next few weeks, Lauren and I are going to be preaching together, so get ready to watch me be outshined every week, so it's going to be awesome, uh, but it's cool because I I am, I'm very secure in who I am, so I'm okay to share a stage with my wife. She's awesome. The last week, we have the, the coolest thing I think that we get to do in this whole series is we are going to go and interview my grandparents who have been married for 63 years, and we get to hear lessons from a 60-plus year marriage, and it is going to be awesome. And, and like I said, they're the cutest couple you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, they crack me up. My grandfather's very hard of hearing, and my grandmother gets so annoyed by it, and I just laugh. I, and she goes, bah! forget it. And she's like, I'll do it myself. And I'm like, this is so great. Uh, but they are wonderful and they have so much wisdom to share. I had the coolest moment one time. We were at my grandparents not too long ago having dinner with them. We went down there to spend time with them. And my grandfather just started sharing wisdom. And Lauren grabbed my phone without him knowing and just started recording the whole thing. So I have this like 22 minute long video of my grandfather just giving wisdom from his years uh, of experience. It was just incredible. So I'm excited to be able to share some of that with y'all as we go down and we interview them on the topic of marriage. It's going to be really cool. Uh, so don't miss it. That'll be the last week. But these next two weeks, so today we're going to talk about understanding marriage according to the Bible. And then the next week, we're going to talk about being fully exposed. And, that, and I don't mean physically, but I mean emotionally and spiritually exposed with one another. And then the next week, we're going to talk about uh, what to do after the honeymoon is over. When all of a sudden it's not a bed of roses any longer, uh, figuratively and in reality, right? We, so we're going to talk about those things and then we're going to wrap it up with uh, listening to my grandparents share wisdom of their many, many years of marriage together. So today, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you would say that you are or you know somebody or one day you hope to plan to be possibly or you're some way connected to a marriage? Wow. We're in the right place, aren't we? Uh, this is, this is going to be spot on for us. I think the cool thing about this, about learning and understanding the Word of God, is that it is applicable to all people, right? It is one of those great things where you go, I may not be married now. I may be single. Maybe I was married before, uh, or whatever the case may be. Learning what the Bible says about marriage is still going to be so crucial and beneficial because who knows if you're single and you go, one day I'd like to be married. Well, you want to be the right person when the right person comes, right? And so we want to, we want to be able to piece these things together and work through all of this. So I'm excited to walk through this because the reality is marriage is a huge part of the world we live in, right? And I heard a recent study. This is kind of the craziest thing. We've all heard the stats that, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce, right? We've heard that stat repeatedly, repeatedly. I've heard a recent stat. This is crazy in a positive trend in the right direction. I'll tell you this. Amongst millennials right now, this is going to shock so many of you. Amongst millennials, there is only a 17% divorce rate right now. 83% of millennial marriages have stayed together. That's a remarkable trend. And, and, and there's, there's a lot of variables and things that play in that. But the fact of the matter is 
that's a huge shift in the right direction. And, and I say amen to that. Like, that's a great thing. So let's talk about marriage and, and have this understanding of, of, of what marriage is and what the Bible says about marriage. And so what is marriage supposed to be according to the Bible? That is the question. Here's what I have found. When you start to study that and you look at that, you find a lot of varying ideas and a lot of varying concepts according to what the Bible says, right, as it pertains to marriage. A lot of people have this belief and understanding that the Bible should not be authoritative on the subject of marriage. And I go, whoa, that's kind of a crazy thought because they go, well, the Bible shows so many different forms of marriage. It shows so many different things and different uh, deviations of marriage and what it was originally that it shouldn't be a, 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 you know, a foundational text on what marriage is any longer. And, and I would agree, yes, there are so many different things in different marriages and, and relationships that you read about in the Bible. For instance, polygamy is a, is a topic in the Bible. Now, we can take that and run with it in a horrible direction, or we can understand it in, in alignment with Scripture and the context that it's in. We also find that, that, that a lot of the things that we read about and understanding scripture are post-fall, right? They are up after sin has entered the world. And so there is this corruption to a God-ordained institute and a God-ordained union that has taken place. So as you look at scripture and you hear these people argue that, well, the Bible talks about polygamy and it talks about concubines and all these things, that doesn't mean that the Bible is endorsing uh, those variations of marriage and, and, and the marriage union. It simply is stating historical fact and understanding things within the context and the time period in which things were taking place, right? I will say this, I don't think God was pleased with the fact that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I also don't believe he knew the name of all of them. He's a thousand women. Good luck, buddy. You're digging yourself a hole no matter what you say, right? I'm just going, you can't win in that situation. But I promise you this, God wasn't pleased with the way he handled you know, marriage and those types of relationships. That is simply seeing a, a, a decline in, in the morality of man, right? That is seeing evil continue to grow and we're seeing what, what took place because of that. I'll jump into Genesis chapter four. Verse 19, it says, uh, we read of a man named Lamech, and this, is, this won't be on the screens. This is just simply, uh, it's the first person mentioned to have more than one wife. So this is in chapter four, verse 19. Remember, this is post-fall. So this is after sin has entered the world. And the first man we read about, Lamech, has two wives. And as you read, you know what you continue to find? You find the story of a man who's now trying to convince these two women that the murder he just committed was justifiable. He's not exactly the guy we want to be modeling our marriages after, right? Well, I had to kill him. He was not nice to me. And you go, you've got a crooked mindset here, buddy. You got things wrong. So when we, the first introduction of polygamy and multiple wives and stuff that we find in scripture is of a murderer who is then trying to justify uh, the other sin in which he is committed and that he's walking in. And so what we find is that the Bible is going to be very, very uh, streamlined on what it says and very precise on what it's trying to communicate as it pertains to marriage and the relationship between man and woman. So the cool thing is, is, is that we find that there's so many different things that, that, that you read about in the Bible. Like I said, that doesn't mean they're endorsed by the Bible. I don't think God was probably not pleased with Noah's drunkenness, right? He probably wasn't pleased with the anger of Moses when he struck the rock instead of commanding the rock as God had told him to do. And ultimately, both of those, both of those things ended up costing them their lives, right? And like I said earlier, he probably wasn't pleased with, with the way Solomon uh, handled relationships with all of the different women that he had, right? What we see is, is, a, is a twist in 
a turn of, of the evil of man and that we hear the whole story as we walk through scripture, right? As we read the word of God, we see what happened post fall and then as it leads back into the grace of God and, and, and the son coming and Jesus giving his life. So we have to read the Bible as this full long flowing story, right? And understanding that it is the greatest love story ever told. And so a lot of the things that are mentioned and said are simply historical perspective and point of view to create this overarching theme that men are, are, are evil and corrupt. We are a fallen people. And then we have Jesus. We have the savior of the world. We have this grace and redemption. And so it's this incredible story. And so we find all of this in there, but it doesn't mean that it is a seal of approval or a condoning of the corruption that was originally created. So, so yes, the Bible is an authoritative text on the subject of marriage. And today we're going to talk about that. And I'm really excited. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. This would be kind of deemed as the first wedding ceremony. And I would say maybe we could learn something from this uh, in weddings today because this was not long. It was short. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. And it says this, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Uh, The big idea today is this, that God gave us marriage as a gift to please our need for companionship. So prior to this, we have Adam in the garden and it's just Adam and the animals, right? And he has dominion over all of those things. And God said, now go and name all of these animals. You you rule and you reign. And then he realizes, God looks and says, it is not good for man to be alone. He sees this need and this longing of of companionship that he's not going to find by naming animals or just sitting around animals who he has no communication with. And the only person or being that he's ever been able to speak to is God. And God is going, it is not good for you to be alone. You need someone. You need a helper to come alongside of you. And so then we find ourselves here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. And there's a few things that I, w- I want to look at. We're going to focus on verses 23 and 24 today uh, and use this as a buildup for the rest of what we're going to be discussing and teaching on for the next few weeks. But today I want to really hone in on these first two verses that, we, that we've read. And, and a couple of things that I want to talk about and things that are major in understanding what the Bible is saying as it pertains to marriage. The first thing that we pick up on is man and woman, man and woman. And he says this, he says, this is bone of my bone of flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. She was taken out of man. So the first thing is, is we pick up on a few things that that we're going to look at and, and, and understand. But one of the greatest things that we find is that this is the first time that Adam is recorded speaking. This is the first recorded uh, words that we have of Adam in this moment. doesn't mean that it was the first time he ever spoke. It wasn't the first time that he ever had the ability to communicate because we know he was naming animals and and coming up with crazy things, which that would be a fun job to have, right? Just to start naming animals and be like, you're now Billy. Like, what is it? Like, I don't know. It's a Billy. Like, I don't know. How how do you name animals? I don't know. So, So we know that he has spoken, but this is the first recorded moment we have of him speaking. He is in the presence of now his wife and he's going, whoa. And he's prompted to speak with this poetic language. And he's just like, wow. See, the first thing we find is that it's man and woman. See, God, God created man and, and, and created man to want woman and woman to want man. And it is through our, our, our sin and our wickedness that things have deviated and, and, and shifted from the original 
ideology of how God created it. And mind you, again, everything else we read is post-fall, right? Any, any deviation in marriage is post-fall. And keeping that in context. The second thing that, that we see, is so first of all, it, it, it's the first wedding. The second is that it's, it was officiated by God himself. And then the third, the fact that it was the first time that Adam had spoken. Let's look at some of the words of Adam. And he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. But there's, there's some cool things that we can pull from the language here. I absolutely love uh, when I started diving into this. This is incredible, incredible stuff. And the first thing I want to look at is the, the, the simple phrase, this is now. And you would go, this is now. What can you pull out of the phrase, this is now? Like, there's not a whole lot there. And, and in essence, no, there's not a whole lot there. But when you look at it in, in, in other interpretations, there, there is a fuller meaning behind the phrase, this is now. And it's not saying that in this moment, here we are. No, he's saying, finally, finally, somebody who is made of flesh and bone like me. And he goes back to that sense and that need of companionship. And, and, you know, I, I would say that, that we have found that, that over time that, that, that history and society has been this male-dominated world. And some of you are going to get nervous where I'm going right now. Trust me, there's nothing to be worried about. This is just history, right? We can agree that historically it has been this male dominance and this rule over all things, right? And what we find here is, is that, that Adam in this moment is recognizing his need for somebody else. He, he, he is admitting to the fact that finally... Finally, I have a companion. And I think we miss that too often because of the way society has, has trained us to think and to view things that he's saying, oh, finally, I have someone. Finally, I have someone. Not someone to rule over, not someone to dominate or to domineer in, in any way, shape, or form, but someone to be companion with. It's this incredible thought of finally I have somebody just like me. The Good News Bible says it this way, and, and I love this translation. It says, at last, here is one of my own kind. At last, here is one of my own kind. This man who's been going around and naming all of these animals and these, and these, 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 these beasts and these birds and all of these different things. He's seen all of this, and then there's a woman in front of him, and he's like, finally, one of my kind. Someone I can relate to. Someone that I can speak to. Someone that I can find compatibility with. Somebody I can find companionship in. Somebody I can have relationship with. And, and in his moment, he's thinking, uh, it doesn't matter if we get along or not. I, I'm just excited that, that she is like me. And he's going, wow, this is a great moment. This is a great moment. Finally, there's someone like me. And then he says this, and this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He, he recognizes the fact that, that not only is she one of my kind, but she's made of the same things I am. She's going to have the same hurts. She's going to have the same emotions, the same feelings. She's going to have the, the, the same uh, uh, needs that, that he's going to have physically. You're going to go, he's like, I, I need to eat. Do you want to eat? Because there's, I have this thing called food. You can eat with me. You know? And there's this, this sense and this understanding that there is this, this, they're made of the same stuff. And that is actually a great translation for the, the phrase. I know that's really funny and it sounds kind of weak and minimal, but, but the idea is he said she's made of the same stuff as me. And to Adam, that would be this remarkable shift in his mindset going, all I've had around me are these furry four-legged animals running around and, and I'm having to keep the peace. And now there's somebody who's like me, made of the same stuff as me 
who can experience the pain I experience, who understands the emotion that I experience and what I walk through. And he's, he's overjoyed. And that's why we find here that, 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 that as we read the words of Moses and he's getting to retell the story of, of, of creation and, and Adam and Eve, we get to hear this moment where he's going, she is made of the same stuff as me. Here's where it gets really, really cool. The Hebrew word for man in this moment is is, I-S, is, and you're like, or is, however you want to pronounce it. The Hebrew word for woman is Isa. And now there, at the end of the word, there's, the A indicates gender, okay, meaning female. So it's, that's why there's the SSA, because now it, it's saying that this was man. Now this is the gender change and shift. This is now female. This is Isa. And the really cool thing is if you look at the Hebrew word right there, the very last, uh, um, that little bitty, I mean, I know it's almost minimal and you can hardly tell. Remember, Hebrew's backwards, so you've got to understand how you read it. There is that little dash going straight down on the very, what would be the first letter to us as we read it in English. That is a double intendre, okay? That's a great phrase, and it's a lot of fun to use. You can sound very sophisticated, like you speak Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew. I'm just going to throw that out there. But the double intendre is a really neat thing, because if you look at the word, for, for the word Adam, which is another word for man, it, it, it is also very close to the word for ground, which is Adame. And Adame it ends with the same A with that double intendre. And the intended purpose behind that double intendre at the end, and, and follow me for a moment with this, is to signify that man will return to the ground. It will be drawn back to the ground, right? When we die, we are buried and and our body returns to the earth, right? In the same way, in the same uh, ideology and understanding within the Hebrew text here, it is saying that this Esau, that the the man is going to be drawn to and return to the woman. And so when he speaks that, he's saying, she shall be called woman for she's, she's out of man. He's saying, I am drawn to her. Think about that. He's saying, I see her, and all of a sudden, I see and recognize that there's finally somebody made who is made of the same stuff as me, someone who is of my own kind, and now I see her, and my heart is pulled towards her. He's like, I am drawn to her. I am drawn to her. And it signifies to me, and it speaks to me this, that that men, we should be drawn to our wives. That should be where we seek companionship. That should be where we seek relationship. That should be who we seek this emotional depth that we long for from companionship and people. It is, should be and only should be found in our wives, in the woman in which we are, are brought together to. We are drawn to him. Adam says, I am drawn to you. I'm calling you woman because you came from man, but I am drawn to you. I am pulled to you. It's an incredible thought, and it just blows my mind when I see that. So he's saying, listen, this man that was created, he was drawn to this woman. He's drawn to this woman, pulled to this woman. Do we see variations in Scripture? Yes, but remember, keep this in mind, it is post-fall. And, and all that goes to show the story of the fall of man and, 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 the, and the sin that which so easily entangles, that pulls away and, and, and draws us from what Scripture has intended, all leading us back to grace. So the next thing we want to talk about is leave the old. So as we read in verse 24, it says, that is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Here's what I find really, really funny. Uh, in, in the church, and, and I don't know that too many of us are, are far different from this, is that in, in the church, we place honeymoon sex slightly above the return of Jesus. 
follow me. Some of you are going, what in the world are you talking about? Because how many of you growing up in church would have been in youth group and prayed this, dear Lord Jesus, please don't come back until after I've gotten married so that I can go on my honeymoon. Amen. And you try to make it holy and righteous, but we all know the reality of it is in the church is that it's like, okay, okay, God, it would not be funny if I'm in the car on the way to the hotel after the wedding and you decide to blow your trumpet, right? Um, I would find that to be cruel and I will come and worship you in heaven. Yes, nonetheless, and I'll be pleased to be there. But my flesh desires to stay until, you know, right? So that is, that is kind of, that is the funny thought that we all know it to be true and nobody likes to actually pinpoint it and point, you know, and be like, oh yeah, we do that in the church. Like that is our thought process, right? And so what we find is that, that we've, we've placed that as being the, the sole thing in life, that if I can get married and go on a honeymoon, I will become the man God has called me to be and all this stuff, right? And, and, and that is the way the, the mind of the man works. And, and I think uh, we look at the scripture where it says, and the two shall become one for flesh and we're like and that is the epitome of life and that is the goal and that and that couldn't be further from the truth and we take that one slight bit of scripture and we remove it from context and we go yes i'm going to apply this to my life and, and it's like no 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 hold on pump the brakes on that that is not what we're trying to say here so let's look at this whole verse in context and understand what is he saying when he says this is why man leaves his father and mother and is united. This is the whole idea of leave and cleave. How many of you, how many of you have heard the phrase like leave and cleave, right? Hopefully. Okay. Well, then today you're going to hear the phrase leave and cleave. This is going to be good. So leaving is, is, is about the idea of being pulled from your family and, and then being united to your wife. But the, the reality is, is that it's, it's not about a, a removal of previous family where you have shunned them and pushed them aside, right? Marriage requires a new priority in the marital partners where obligations to one's spouse supplants a person's parental loyalties. So now you say, okay, I love my parents deeply. I love my mom and dad, and I'm very connected and very close in family. But I'm now married to Lauren which means that there is a shift in an obligations in my relationships. So now she takes precedence over them. I haven't severed the relationship with my parents. I haven't set that apart and said, okay, you guys go live your life. I'm going to live mine. Maybe I'll see you someday passing down the street and we'll wave at each other from a distance. That's not what leaving and cleaving is. This is, this is about saying, I am now shifting the responsibilities of my, of my relationships and saying, okay, Lauren is now my number one priority in, in, in relationship status, the rest of my family then comes underneath that. I haven't done an extensive amount of marriage counseling. I, I've done a lot of premarital counseling. I have done some marriage counseling. Um, you know, being married for almost 12 years, I don't think deems me as an expert uh, by any means or by any stretch of the imagination. But I have done some marital counseling. And, and I've found uh, that there are a lot of people who have not got this part right. And it causes a lot of issues in the home. It causes a lot of problems. I heard a story. This is a true story that I heard, and, and I'm not going to say names or anything. I would never do that to the people, but I heard this story of a young couple that got married, and, and the leaving part became an issue within the home, where, where the husband was going, I just, I feel like she hasn't separated yet, that she hasn't fully committed to our home and our marriage, you know? And I'm like, what do you mean? True story. So they go, the night they get to, this is after the wedding, they, they get to the hotel, and she immediately calls her mother, He's got another agenda. I, I'm just, just throw it that way, right? He's got another thing on his mind. And, and she calls her mother and is like, oh, it's great. It's wonderful. And then she's like, but I really miss you. And it's like, 
we've got some issues here. So then the next morning she wakes up, she's like, oh, I need to call my mom and let her know we're leaving. Every single day, she would call her mom two to three times a day to give her updates on all of these things, comes home and finds that every time there is a problem or an issue in the house, what does she do? She runs to mom. And we found out as we went through this process that mom was just as big of a part of the problem as, as the wife was because she was saying, she was sitting there going on the other side going, well, you need to tell him this and you need to tell him that. And I'm going, you people have issues. Um, that's the best my counseling can offer you right now. <laughs> you people have issues. Uh, I'm just kidding. It was better than that. It was like, you particularly have issues. I'm just kidding. It was a, no, but, but, but I found, I was going, man, I, never in my life have I seen the leave and cleave aspect of marriage become so real and so needed. Because when there's not that separation and understanding of the relationship roles within the family now, it causes deeper problems. When Lauren and I first got married, I, I struggled with that a little bit. And I mentioned uh, for just a moment that, that, that I am very, very close with my family. We have a very, very tight-knit family. Uh, we have a group text that is always going. My dad texts me every Sunday morning because uh, him being a pastor forever. I'm actually in a group text with my brother-in-laws and I and my dad because we were all, all pastors. And so uh, there's a lot of communication all the time with my family and a lot of that connection. When I first got married, I had a hard time uh, understanding the new role of balancing. How do, I, how do I still say yes to my... And it's that understanding of what it means to leave and to cleave. Now, when you look at it biblically, we can look at Jacob and we look at his family. And, and, and what we find is that his children would be grown and married. And, and guess what they never did? They never left home. Even after they had been married and amassed wealth themselves, they didn't leave. They just understood the shift in the roles, right? It doesn't mean a severing of relationships. It doesn't mean you have to cut off and cast aside, be like, sorry, mom and dad, kicking you to the curb. That's not what this is. This is saying, I now have a new responsibility and a new priority to this marriage and to this relationship above things. There are times when, yes, compromises have to be made and you have to do things to please the family at large. But the reality is in the understanding in a healthy marriage, in a God-ordained marriage, in a biblical marriage is that we have to learn to separate ourselves when needed so that we can take care of our home, so that we can take care of our marriage. So the idea behind this series is to build healthy marriages to build strong marriages. And sometimes in health and in, in strengthening, there is this, this, this tearing that almost has to take place and it hurts and it's uncomfortable. And, and so I, I like to work out. Now I'm not huge. You could probably tell that from where you're sitting. Uh, it's not just the distance, it's the reality, right? Uh, um, but I know a few things about lifting weights and where it is that if the muscle is going to grow, it has to tear. Not, not a full tear, not like a surgically repaired tear, but like there is that breaking down of muscle that takes place and it is that regrowth of the muscle tissue that again, then builds the strength and it, and it begins to build the muscle mass, right? And if we're gonna strengthen our marriages, sometimes there's those hard conversations where we go, okay, this is gonna hurt a little bit now, but all it's gonna do is, is strengthen. It's just gonna strengthen. And sometimes that leaving part is difficult. And setting that aside or, re, or you know, reorganizing our priorities relationally can be difficult, but we have to learn to leave. The second thing is this. We need to cling, or the third thing, I'm sorry, is cling to the new. Cling to the new. Marriage involves two parties that are, are, that are bound forming a new entity. It's a new entity. It, it's not 
It's not two individuals walking together. It's two individuals becoming one, right? One adjoined entity. It is this new thing. You are no longer just individuals anymore. I've always found, it's really funny when you get married. uh, I have friends now that don't just say, hey, how are you? They go, hey, how's Lauren? How are you? How are you guys doing, right? It's just this all-encompassing, like, how's your family? You know, it's a different conversation now. And now that most of my friends are are grown and married and a lot of them have children and stuff, that's, it it shifts, right? It's just then, you know, you have this conversation of how's your family? How's everyone doing? It's just, you've become this new entity, right? So marriage involves two people coming together, becoming this new thing. And now we mentioned it just briefly that, that, that in the church, we find this like desire to place, you know, honeymoon sex slightly above the second coming of Jesus, right? And we, we kind of joked about that and laughed about that. But a lot of people, like I said, they take that and they look at that and, and they find that, that, that sex is like the epitome and the end result of marriage. And that's not the truth. Yes, there is that aspect of it. There is the physical side of the relationship that needs to be there to be a healthy relationship. There is that. That is, but, but the understanding that, that through that, 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 that physical union that we have, we only are, are signifying and, and giving the, uh, the example, so to speak, of, of we are now one, right? The union, however, is, is, of sex is only symbolic of the new kinship that the couple has entered. The sexual act by itself does not exhaust marriage. Marriage entails far more. And I think that's also where things get misunderstood. And and we'll just go ahead and say it. And typically that's on on the man's side of the relationship, right? Where we find, okay, well, this is what it's about. This is, and, and no, it's not what it's about. It is only a part of the whole it is only a, a symbol of the union that has taken place, right? Of the two coming together and saying, okay, we are now one flesh. It is only symbolic of the entity that has been formed and the creation that has happened through the marriage union. See, clinging is, is a neat word that we find in Hebrew. The, the Hebrew word for cling actually, uh, or the word united is what we have in the NIV. That means to, to cleave, to adhere, or to be glued to be glued, meaning that two things that were separate have now been brought together with, with some sort of agent that binds and holds them together, right? So it's not this easily pulled apart. It's not easily separated because there's an adhering agent that, that forms this bond between the two. My youngest son, Boston, loves to make crafts of sorts, Right? It's always his own invention of something where he's colored the paper, folded the paper, and created something. And you're like, oh, awesome, what is it, right? It's one of those kind of deals. And usually it turns out to be like, oh, it's a spaceship, it's a jet, or like it's a laser or something, you know, it's like, it's, or whatever it may be, right? It's always changing, it's always something different. But I've found that there are times when he'll fold something, fold something, fold something, and it just still won't stay where he wants it. He's like, it won't stay. And I'm like, what are you trying to do? And he's like, I need it to stay here. I'm like, well, what can we do? He's like, glue stick. Like, You're right. It'll do the trick. You go and get the glue stick and he'll put the glue on there right where he wants it. Now he's, he's real meticulous. He is like, it's gotta be just right. So he gets it on there and, and he gets it where he needs it and he sits it there and he holds it down. And he holds it there and holds it there, holds it there. And then finally he lets go and it stays. And it's this great experience. Like, yes, I got it. You know, and he's like, super driven little kid. And it's really funny to watch like how motivated he is to get things right. And you go, man, you're awesome. And so it just stays there. But then he decides that sometime later, 
ah, I don't like it like that. I'm like, you don't like it like that. He's like, yeah, I changed my mind. And I'm like, okay. So you go and watch him and he's, he's unfolding and this part's still glued together. And I'm like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm gonna, I'll just pull it apart. And then he goes to pull it apart and what happens? It rips, it tears. And then he's like, oh, man, what am I supposed to do? And he finds that it's really, really hard to put it back together. And the hurt that, that has happened to the paper is, is almost irreparable. See, so the word cling to be adhered to means to fight for. When it's difficult, I'm going to cling to you. When the money's difficult, I'm going to cling to you. When the, when the situation is difficult, I'm going to cling to you. We are united. We adhere. We are brought together. We are joined together. And I'm going to fight to keep it that way. I'm going to fight to keep it that way. I'm going to see to it that at the end of the day, no matter what we're walking through or what we're going through, I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to fight to stay with you. Now, I'm a big believer in this statement right here that, that truth without grace is mean and grace without truth is meaningless. And so if I was to leave it at that, I would be a complete jerk. And I wouldn't be telling the whole story of scripture either. I know this because I'm not an idiot. I'm fully aware that there are people in our church who have gone through difficult situations in marriages. There are people in our church who have gone through divorce and you have felt the pain. You have walked through the, the hurt that comes from it and you are aware of what it feels like to have the paper torn in your house. I'm aware of that. I'm fully aware. And did, was that God's intention? No, it wasn't God's intention. But does it happen because, of, because of, of man being man? Absolutely it happens. But here's the greatest, greatest thing in the world is that God doesn't want to leave you in your hurt. He doesn't want to leave you in your pain. God is a God that heals. He has grace. God has grace. We serve a loving gracious father. We serve an incredible God. And his heart for you, his love for you is greater than any you've ever known and any you can ever experience here on earth because it is a righteous love. It is that agape love. It is unconditional. It is everlasting. It endures through all things. He loves you more than you could ever know. And when you go through hurt and when you go through pain, and maybe it wasn't your wanting or your doing, but in the end, you found yourself torn to pieces and you're saying, oh God, this isn't what I wanted. And he said, it's not what I wanted for you either. And he wants to pick you up and he wants to hold you and he wants to take the glue and begin to put you back together and bring that healing and bring that peace and let you feel that love that only the Father can bring. If I was just to leave it to say that God's intention was, was to, for you to be glued together and fight through it all and never, no, I, yes, if I left it there, would that be biblically accurate? Sure, it would be right. It would be what the word says as, as it pertains to marriage, but would it be the whole story? No, it wouldn't be the whole story because the reality is there is hurt in this world. But God wants to bring grace and healing to the hurts. He wants you to know that, that, that you, you can be fully restored. You can be fully mended that you're not damaged goods, that you're not worthless or useless, but, but, but that you are a whole person that, that is still capable of the love that God intended in the union of marriage. God's love for you is greater. God's love for you is greater than anything you've ever known. I think marriage is intriguing because 
because of a lot of reasons, but, but I think the greatest thing that we find in scripture about marriage is that God himself uses marriage as a symbol for the relationship between his son and the church. So when we stop and we think of our relationship with Jesus in that context, all of a sudden it shifts and changes how we view our relationship with the father, right? And our relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus says that we, he, he's the bride and we are, we are the bridegroom, right? So we are, we are the bride of Christ. And so he says, I, I, I am married to the church. And he says, I love the church, right? And, and he's like, I'm married to you. So what we find is this union where he says, I am clinging to you, where I'm clinging to you. He says, I'm holding to you. I'm united with you. We are now united with Christ as the body, as the church. We are the bride of Christ. So he looks at us and says, as much as I used marriage in the very beginning of the word of God, and I showed this union between man and woman, it's the same union that I have created between my son and the church. And he's saying, look at marriage as as this union that you find with Christ. This is the love of Christ in the same way we love one another. He says, Christ loves you even greater than that. Any marriage you've ever seen that may be the healthiest or the most thriving marriage you've ever seen, Jesus says, Psh, I got that beat. I got that beat. Jesus loves you. He loves his church. I like Chris and the team. This morning, I know, and I mentioned it, but I know that there are people in this room and you're saying, I've had hurts. I've had hurts. And, and even, and maybe you say, you know what? That was a long time ago. I went through some difficulties. Man, I've talked to people who have had the worst situations you've ever heard of in your entire life, that they've gone through the worst marriages they've, you would ever experience or have heard of. I, I'm, talking, I'm talking abuse and I'm talking uh, just, just, just complete uh, tear down and, and physical beat and just so many different things. And you go, how did you stay married so long? And they're like, but I loved them so much. And, and you see this and they go back and forth and finally have the realization one day that that was not what God intended marriage to be. And somebody with wisdom comes along and says, get out of that marriage, get away, get away. But they carry that hurt. They carry that baggage and they carry that weight and they carry the the filth that came with it and they feel worthless. Man, I've seen an incredible story of a woman who came out of such a, a terrible abusive relationship where she came out and God has just fully restored her to the point to where now she is leading other women who have gone through the same situation and she is now married to the sweetest, most kindest man you have ever met in your entire life and he adores her. And it's this whole night and day thing where God said, see, this is what you had. And I had so much better waiting for you. And you didn't even know. And God is saying, listen, this is full healing and restoration. This is where the grace of God says, I love you more than anything you've ever experienced or known here on earth. And I want to reveal my love to you fully. See, there's grace, there's healing. The father didn't, didn't send his son to leave us in a mess. He sent his son to be the greatest example of love, to show the greatest example of marriage and the uniting to the church that you've ever seen in your entire life. And yes, he gives us biblical guidelines and and, and understanding and framework for what marriage should be here on earth between man and woman. But he said, if things haven't gone well and you're broken and you're hurt, there's grace and there's healing. There's love and there's mercy. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Father, 
God, you see every heart in this room. Lord, you see it all. Lord, we, we, may, we may tell ourselves that, oh, he doesn't recognize that or he doesn't see that. He doesn't know about this. But God, the reality is you see every detail of every single one of our lives, that there is not one person in this room who, who you don't fully see and don't fully know. And your word tells us, even in spite of all of that, you still love us. You still love us. So for that, we say thank you. And God, we we put down any walls, we put down any barriers, and we say, God, you see it already. You're already aware. You already know what we're walking through, what we're going through, what we're facing, and what we're up against. You see it already. And so we say, Father, we welcome you in. God, bring healing in the name of Jesus. Bring healing in the name of Jesus. Mend the hurts in the name of Jesus. Mend the brokenhearted in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. God, we pray for emotional healing. We pray for spiritual healing. God, we pray that that you begin to piece together the brokenness. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.